since I won't see most of you uh, before Christmas Day, I do want to extend a blessed Christmas to each and every one of you. I trust that Christmas Day will be special for you, and I realize sometimes Christmas uh, causes us not to always be full of joy and, and happiness. Uh, sometimes at Christmas we remember uh, the loved ones who are no longer with, the, with us and who are in the presence of God. But I trust that you will have a blessed and merry uh, Christmas. Uh, Christmas, as you know, is that time that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And sometimes we refer to his birth as the incarnation. Uh, Christmas is a time that we rejoice in the marvelous truth that the eternal Son of God was conceived in the womb of Mary and was born on Christmas Day. We reflect upon the truth that God became man and actually lived on this earth. And as we know, he was born to die. He was born to die. And we learn from the Gospel of Mark when we went through chapter 15 that the Lord Jesus Christ indeed died. We saw that firsthand, him being crucified on the cross. But praise God that he didn't remain on the cross and neither did he remain in the tomb. But on the third day, he arose from the dead. And so he was born to die that you and I might have eternal life. So during this time of the year, during this Christmas, rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ was born and that he died so that men, women, boys, and girls might have eternal life. It's during the Christmas season that we sing Christmas songs like we did today. We sing, hark the herald angels sing, and we sing joy to the world. We sing these songs and we encourage each other with the words of these songs. And sometimes the songs exhort us to come and adore the one who was born on Christmas morning. And even in the song that we sung today, there was a phrase that, was, that we sung, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's a wonderful truth. Peace on earth. God and sinners reconciled. So we sing about joy. We sing about peace. And we sing about peace even though we know that our world is filled with hatred and strife and anger, and murder, and wars. We have the audacity to lift up our voice and sing about peace on planet Earth, this Earth that you and I live on, where violence is rampant, and all kinds of violence takes place. We got physical violence and sexual violence and emotional violence and spiritual violence and financial violence. But yet we sing about peace on earth. And these beatitudes that we've been looking at, these beatitudes don't have their head, so to speak, buried in the sand. As we come to the seventh beatitude, the one that we'll be looking at today, it speaks to this issue of peace on earth and violence on earth. How do you reconcile those two? 
How can we sing from the depths of our soul about peace on earth when each and every day of our lives we, we hear about violence on earth? Well, this seventh beatitude shows us the way on how we can reconcile the two. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so if, if there's tension in your heart and tension in your life on how do I talk about peace on earth when I know Every time I turn on the TV, when I look around, when I get on Facebook, the news is always saying something about violence. Well, in order to reconcile those two things, we need to meditate on this seventh beatitude. This seventh beatitude that focuses on the blessed peacemakers. And so today, what I want us to do on this Christmas Sunday. I want us to consider three observations from this text as we meditate on blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let me point out three observations regarding this beatitude. As we begin our meditation, please observe the attention on the peacemakers. Jesus turns the attention of his hearers. Remember, this is his greatest sermon ever. And as he's preaching this sermon, he's turning the attention of the hearers from those who are poor in spirit, from those who mourn, from those who are gentle, from those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, no, from those who are merciful, from those who are pure in heart, he turns their attention away from them to a new group. And this new group is referred to as the peacemakers. That's the subject of verse 9. That's the emphasis of verse 9, so to speak. He wants our attention to be drawn to this group, these people. Out of all the people in the world, our Lord said, now I want to draw your attention to the peacemakers. And he uses one word to describe these individuals. The Lord doesn't need a phrase. He doesn't need a sentence. He doesn't need a paragraph. He doesn't need a chapter. He doesn't need a book. He can turn our attention to these individuals with one word, peacemakers. And what's fascinating is that no other time in the Old Testament or the New Testament is this word ever used. This is the only time in all of Scripture, in all of the New Testament, that we read about the peacemakers. And even though it's only used one time, we know what the word means. It means individuals who make peace, individuals who work peace, individuals who are about the business of bringing about peace. So, so they operate where there is conflict, discord, and disagreement. And in that atmosphere, in that context, the peacemaker sows peace. Where there's disharmony, the peacemaker brings harmony. Where there is discord, the peacemaker brings agreement. The, the peacemaker is not someone who's passive, not someone who just sits on the pew and, and doesn't act. The peacemaker is active, and the peacemaker is aggressive. 
the, the peacemaker works. He or she does something. This individual is beyond just making observations. It's beyond just make, uh, being aware of what is happening. The, the peacemaker puts feet to their words and to their observations. And so they bring peace out of chaos. They bring harmony out of strife. They bring reconciliation out of conflict. That's who Jesus is describing. Those who make, work, bring about peace. And the work of making peace, as far as what Jesus has in mind, first of all, can only be accomplished by those who have experienced peace with God. You cannot be a peacemaker unless, first of all, the the matter has been solved in your life, that you have experienced peace with God. Where you and God are no longer enemies, where you and God are no longer alienated, where you and God are no longer estranged, But instead, you are experiencing peace with God. God is your friend. There's no animosity. There's no hatred between you and God. How can that happen? Because when I come into this world, I am the enemy of God. Oh, I might be the apple of my parents' eye. But the reality of the matter is, every individual born into this world is at odds with God. And even though God loves that individual, the individual has turned his back, her back on God. The individual by nature has made himself, herself an enemy of God. And yet the the marvelous good news is, is that individuals can experience peace with God. And that's what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Paul could write to Christians at Rome and say, look, you're no longer at odds with God. You're no longer hostile to God. You have peace with God. Things are well between you and God. And if a person is going to be a peacemaker, it starts there. You have to experience peace with God. But it also requires that if a person is going to accomplish this work of peacemaking, that the individual is continually experiencing the peace of God. Notice I didn't say peace with God, but experiencing the peace of God. That is what characterizes their life. Not perfection, but what the direction is. Is that the individual is experiencing the peace of God in their day-to-day walk with him. Instead of being anxious, they are at peace in our experience of peace of God. And you know those familiar words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where Paul commands the Philippians, be anxious for what? Nothing. In other words, you can be anxious Just to make sure you're anxious for nothing. Instead of being anxious, whatever you do, make our requests be made known to God. So in those moments where I want to walk back and forth, when in those moments where I'm anxious and full of anxiety, 
where my mind is divided and split up with mess. In those moments, let God know your requests. And even though he might not answer it the way that you want him to, there's one thing he will do for you if you make your request known to him. The scripture says that you will experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You, you can't comprehend it. It's so wonderful and marvelous. And the peace of God, God will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. The work of making peace, peace. The kind of peace that Jesus talked about means, first of all, you've experienced peace with God. And it means continually that you are experiencing the peace of God. But also the work of making peace can only be accomplished by those who are committed to making peace with all men. You're going to be a peacemaker? You got to be committed to making peace with all men. That's a part of the work, the job occupation of peacemakers. Their job duty is making peace with all men. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Did you hear that? If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And Paul is letting us know that we can't always guarantee that we will be at peace with all men. But when we're not at peace with all men, we need to make sure the problem is not Paul Felix. Or the problem is not you. It's the other individual. So we're not saying peace at any cost. Well, some people want to have peace and they sacrifice truth. Hogwash. We stand for truth. And in, in standing for truth, at times there might not be peace with someone because of the position, the truth that we hold to and cling to. And that's why Jesus, even when he was on earth, at certain times he could talk about peace. And then the very same mouth that talked about peace talked about conflict. And it sounds contradictory. But Jesus said in, later on in this book, in Matthew 10, verses 34 and 35, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Well, I just thought you said he did come for that. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There are times where peace cannot be achieved because of who we are and because of what we stand for. But that doesn't deny the reality of Romans chapter 12, verse 13. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And so what is this work? What is this work of making peace? It involves being reconciled with others. If I'm a peacemaker, it involves me as an individual reconciling with others. And so the peacemaker is not about the business of making mess in the church. It's not about causing divisions and conflict. Not about criticizing and bringing out all the problems and the mess in life. The, the, the peacemaker, the one who makes peace, that individual is committed to making peace with others.
Hebrews 12, 14 demands that we pursue peace with all men. Did you, did you hear that? Not, not with a few, not just with the ones we want to have a relationship, but pursue peace. Track it down. Run it down. With who? With all men. The work of making peace involves reconciling others to each other. It's not just me being reconciled to others, but I'm also involved in reconciling, reconciling others to each other. So things might be fine with me, but I see a brother or a sister and things aren't right between them. If I'm a peacemaker, I just don't ignore that. I just don't turn my head and act like it doesn't exist. A peacemaker says, I'm involved in reconciling those two individuals who are at odds with each other. I don't promote it. I don't encourage it. I don't hear them whispering and saying, oh, what about this and that? And, and, and then what I do is simply tell others, these people are disgruntled. These people are upset. These people are at odds with each other. No, the peacemaker gets in the huddle and makes peace, tries to resolve relationships and hostility. They don't further it. They don't instigate it. They don't become a part of it. But instead, they seek to bring about harmony in the relationships. They understand what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.11 when he says that Christians are to seek peace and pursue it. So it involves making sure I'm reconciled to others. It involves also making sure that individuals are reconciled to each other. But there's something else involved in this work of making peace. That is trying to make sure individuals are reconciled to God. Did you hear that? Reconciled to God. The reason why we put such an, an emphasis on evangelism and sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel and doing these different things is not just so we can tick off some things that we're doing as a church, but no, because we understand that we are to proclaim the gospel, that we are to share the gospel, we are to speak the gospel so that men, women, boys, and girls can be reconciled to God. That's a peacemaker. You are not a peacemaker if you don't care about the destiny, the eternal destiny of men and women, boys and girls. You're not a peacemaker. If you can be around unsaved people and there's no concern whatsoever about their relationship with God, that they're at odds with God. So the peacemaker understands Colossians 1.20, where it says that the Lord Jesus Christ has made peace through his blood, the blood of the cross. Do you hear that? Christ has made it possible that sinful men and women who are at odds with God can have peace. And, and the reason they can have peace is through his blood, the, the blood of his cross. And we proclaim that message and we let people know, we shout it from the mountaintops, be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God. That's what's involved in peacemaking. And it goes without saying that there's a desperate need today for peacemakers. In a world of conflict, hatred, violence, wars, there's a need for peacemakers at all levels. Even in high places, we should be praying that there will be Christian men and women in high places 
who are seeking peace among nations. Hopefully, we don't have our heads buried in the sand. We don't see the need for peacemakers. Maybe there's someone here today who, who needs to be a peacemaker. A la Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, if you got something against your brother as you're bringing a gift to the altar, stop what you're doing. Go and be reconciled with your brother. And maybe some of us need to be running out of church right now. We're more concerned about worshiping God than being reconciled to individuals. Maybe there's someone here who can be a peacemaker in a marriage gone bad. Instead of saying, sister, oh, I understand. I understand. Or saying to that brother, yeah, man, you, you need to, no. She's a mess. Maybe you need to be a peacemaker. Maybe you know some relationships here at Fairview where somebody sits on this side because somebody's sitting over there on that side. And I don't know of anything, but I'm just saying maybe you know. And maybe you need to intervene and be a peacemaker and bring them together. Maybe you know someone who has church hurt. Maybe you know someone who, 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 who the church just doesn't measure up to your standards. Maybe instead of just saying, yeah, maybe you should find another church. Maybe you should be a peacemaker. Maybe you should seek peace in that person's life. And so, yes, peacemakers are needed. There need to be those individuals in the words of James 3.18. They, they sow the fruit of righteousness in peace. And that's done by those who seek to make peace. That's who the peacemakers are. The second thing that I want us to see as we continue to meditate on this beatitude is the assessment of the peacemakers. I want you to see how Jesus weighs in and gives his evaluation of those that he has referred to as peacemakers. What is his judgment? What is his verdict? What does he think about this group that makes it their goal, their job, their occupation to make peace? Whether it's the individual with others, whether it's among individuals, whether it's peace with God. What does Jesus have to say about such individuals? And again, he, he doesn't have a long discourse or dialogue. He just simply says, blessed are the peacemakers. One word sums up how he feels about these individuals. They are fortunate. They are favored. They are individuals who are flowering and flourishing in their life. If, if you want to know who's living the good life, here it is. It, it's those who are peacemakers. And I hope that doesn't, that assessment, that judgment doesn't shock you. If we're familiar with scripture, we shouldn't be shocked at Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And the reason why we shouldn't be shocked is because both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it speaks loudly and clearly about the importance and the priority of peace. 
You can't read your Bible and not get the impression that God is concerned about peace. He wants individuals to have peace internally. He wants individuals to have peace with each other. He wants peace to exist. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, we just say yes. We affirm that because that's what the scriptures teach. And I'm not going to blast you with a bunch of Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scripture. I just want to share with you one Old Testament scripture and then excerpt to three New Testament commands. But in Psalm 34, verse 14, the words are going to sound familiar because I mentioned that Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 3.11. But Psalm 34, verse 14, David says, depart from me, depart from evil and do good. And then he says, seek peace. What are you seeking today? Seek peace and pursue it. And then some brief commands from the New Testament. Live in peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Cyrus prayed that in his prayer. Colossians 3, 15. And then Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, live in peace with one another. So it's clear why Jesus makes this assessment of peacemakers. Why he says they are blessed, they are fortunate, they are favored, they are proved, they are living the good life. The Lord cherishes and prizes those who make peace. The Lord does. He, he, he cherishes, he, he values those who are committed to being peacemakers, those who do the work of making peace. And we've been talking about how these Beatitudes have been countercultural. But here's something that's really not countercultural. The world that we live in values peacemakers. You've heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. It prizes peacemakers. Established back in 1901. Jesus prizes peacemakers. The Nobel Peace Prize prizes peacemakers. But the question is, do you? Do you prize peacemakers? Do you put peacemakers on a pedestal and say that's what pleases God and that's what honors God? Or does your life reflect the fact that it seems like God doesn't care about making peace between an individual and others? between others and one another, and between individuals and God. The assessment of the peacemakers is that they are blessed. As we conclude our meditation on this beatitude, the last observation I want to make is the announcement concerning the peacemakers. In this beatitude, the Lord makes a declaration about peacemakers, about those who belong to this class of making and working and bringing about peace. He gives us in making this announcement the reason why peacemakers are blessed. He says, for are because they shall be called the sons of God. Why are peacemakers living the good life? Why are peacemakers so fortunate and so blessed? Jesus says it's because these individuals, 
that this group will be called the sons of God. So let's break that down real quick. Now, who will call the peacemakers the sons of God? The text doesn't say, but the implication is it's God. God will call the peacemakers the sons of him. God will open up his mouth, so to speak, and publicly proclaim that peacemakers are his sons. The God of heaven and earth, the God that we are accountable to, the God that we have to answer to, will call peacemakers blessed. And he will call them the sons of God. When will God do this? It'll be in the future. A future judgment, a future time. And some of you who know your Bibles might be a little bit bothered by this because you know the truth that every Christian right now is called a son of God. As part of our salvation, when God saves us, he adopts us and he places us in his family. And he doesn't place us in his family as children, but he places us in his family as sons and daughters who have rights and privileges of a full-grown son and daughter. So right now, if you are a genuine Christian, you are a son of God. Romans 8.14 makes that clear, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And Galatians 3.26 says, all are sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Have you put your faith in Christ Jesus? Then you are a son of God. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about what we are in the present. He's talking about what we will be in the future. In the future, it is promised that peacemakers will be called the sons of God. And maybe you don't fully understand the significance of being called a son of God. But it is a wonderful truth for God to call anyone his son. Because it means you're a part of the family of God. Sons are part of the family of God. They're true members of the family of God. Sometimes when I teach new members class, I said, you can be a part of Fairview Heights Baptist Church, but you're not a part of the true church. And I want to say, you can be a member of Fairview and not be a member of God's family. We, we try to do our best to make sure that people are genuinely saved when they become a member of Fairview. But we might miss the mark. You might get by us. But, but you can't get by God. You can't fool him. You can't snow him. But, but if God calls you his son, you can know, rest assured, that you are in the family of God. What does it mean to be called the son of God? It, it means that you possess the character and the essence of God's character. It means you're, you're like him. So as we're living our lives, going through all that we're going through, we need to make sure that we're reflecting his character, that, that his essence is what is true of us. Sons bear the likeness of their father. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Hebrew idiom, sons of me. Now, some of you are used to son of something else, but here is sons of God, meaning that you have the character, the essence 
of Almighty God. It means that God is the peacemaker's father. You know how glorious that is? To have God as our father. Some of us might not even know who our father is. Or some of us might have experienced the loss of our father at an early age. Or even at a late age. But to know that out of all the people in the world, anyone that you can imagine, to know that the God of heaven and earth is the peacemaker's father. Not just anybody's father, but the peacemaker's father. When Jesus says they shall be called the sons of God, he's saying that your father peacemakers is God and you are his son. And it means also that we are reflecting the character of God. I hope you do know that our God is the God of peace He's not the God of division. He's not the God of hate. He's the God of peace. And and several scriptures proclaim that. Romans 15, 33, 16, 20, Philippians 4, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, and Hebrews 13, 20, all refer to God as the God of peace. And peacemakers, that's, Who they are, they reflect the God of peace so that in the future, the day will come where God will say to the peacemakers, he will call them sons of God. And if he calls us that, it means we are that. For God to call the peacemakers his sons, indicates that they are his sons. He's not calling them one thing and something else is true. No, what he calls them is the reflection of who they are. Blessed assurance, the peacemakers will be called the sons of God. This is a wonderful beatitude. It helps us in a world where we talk about peace on earth and also talk about violence on earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. There's no way possible, or let me put it this way, Never should one talk about peacemakers without talking about the ultimate peacemaker, the superior peacemaker, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the peacemaker par excellence. And that's why this beatitude is relevant for Christmas Sunday. Because we need to remember and remind ourselves that even though God is calling upon his fathers, and not calling upon his father, but God is saying that his followers are peacemakers, we need to understand that Jesus is the ultimate, superior peacemaker. Before he was conceived in the womb of Mary, Isaiah wrote in a book that was named after him in chapter 9, verse 6, these words. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. 
before there was ever a Christmas morning, a Christmas day, Isaiah, many years before that, predicted the coming of the Messiah. And he said a a child would be born. What an unusual birth announcement. Now, sometimes people uh, send out forms and letters saying, so-and-so's been born. Well, here's Isaiah talking about the birth announcement of the Lord. A, a, a child will be born. A son will be given. And, and the birth announcement is unusual because it says that the, the government of the world will, will be upon his shoulders. He will be the one reigning when he comes back again and he's on earth. And then those unusual titles, unusual names. Now, sometimes people got some unusual name that they name their kid. But, but here, the unusual names and titles, eternal father or baby. You sure you got that right? Eternal Father? Little baby in a manger wrapped in cloths? Eternal Father. Wonderful Counselor. He, he can't even speak. But he, 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 he's the one who's going to be the marvelous and magnificent and wonderful Counselor. He, he's mighty God. He, he's just come through his mother's womb and he's born, but yet he's mighty God. And, and, and don't miss that last name, Prince of Peace. That's why this relates to the Beatitude. That's why this relates to Christmas, that the one born will be called these wonderful names, including Prince of peace. He's the one who provides peace. He's the one who makes peace possible between man and God. There's so much I could say about this, but I'll just leave it with the fact that he is Prince of Peace. And because he has come to, to reconcile men to each other and to reconcile men to God, you and I can experience peace. I think about what Paul says to the Corinthians. Paul says, I'm an ambassador of Christ, as though God is entreating you through me. And God is saying to each and every one of you that the Christ preaches peace. He's preaching through me. He wants to preach through you. And what is being preached? Be at peace with God. So on this Christmas day, this Christmas Sunday, be at peace with God. Make sure you are reconciled to God. Make sure that you are friends with him. Make sure that you are part of his family. And if you have done that, then you're a peacemaker. And now we have to practice it. And sometimes that means starting right with the person sitting next to you. That means husbands and wives. God is calling on you to be peacemakers. That means Christians and Christians, God is calling upon somebody to step in and help you to to be at peace with each other. We got to do all that we can, as much as we can, so that we're at peace with all men, so that the fault is not with the Christian. Can't be saying, I'm a man, I'm a woman. Can't nobody treat me like that. We got to be saying, God wants me to be at peace. That, that should be one of the first thoughts that come to our mind. 
Uh, when we're tempted in our relationships to get upset with each other, to want to dog each other, talk about each other, the, the first thing that should be coming to our mind as followers of Jesus is being at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate peacemaker. And Father, my prayer is that everyone under the sound of my voice will experience peace with you, that they will be reconciled to you, that they will be in a harmonious relationship with you by simply putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repenting of their sins. They can be declared righteous and they can have peace with you. And Father, I, I pray that you would lay it upon our hearts as followers of Jesus who are peacemakers in, in name that we will be peacemakers in action. That we will pursue peace with all men. That we will do all that we can, all that lies within us to be at peace with others. We know it will not always be possible. But Father, help us not to be at fault. Help us not to be guilty of sinning when it comes to not having peace with us and our brothers and sisters in Christ and even those in the world. Father, praise you that blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called sons of God. And may that marvelous promise so grip us that we seek to be like you, the God of peace. May it be our character, our essence, to pursue peace and to seek it. Father, heal relationships. Restore marriages. Redeem friendships. May they be reflective of the peace that Christ Jesus came to bring. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your enablement to flesh out what it means to be peacemakers for those of us who are committed to following Jesus Christ. We commend ourselves to you and thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.